And now for Couch Candy with your host, Jen Candy. new shower in a briefcase. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Sure, he's clean, but he's still soaking wet. Well, not for long, because I ordered early enough to receive this special bonus attachment. Bronco's new blow dryer in a briefcase. Second City. 
Yeah, I was. I was. I, I, you know, I was in this production of Godspell, which your father hated. Because... <laughs> oh, why did he hate it so much? He hated it because... Like, there it is. There's, <laughs> there's Gilda said... Radner and uh, Eugene Levy yes. for the mustache, myself, uh, hey, among yeah, others. And, so and, and Victor Garber. And, no, I, I, because I, we had done this for a year... Right. Oh, your father hated it because every time we went to a bar, we only talked about Godspell. And he was in <laughs> so he found that irritating. Uh, I despise Godspell. <laughs> I do remember the stories. Oh, the Godspell people are coming over again. Yeah, no, I know. It drove them nuts. So I, uh, but then Second City, so we, we opened Godspell. You know, everyone was just out of university and we're so excited not to be and in school, you know. And uh, so now we got that show, and it's June of 72, and we all did it for a year, but then Second City came to town, and there was great excitement, and everyone auditioned, right. and, and Eugene got in, and Gilda got in, and all these people got in. I did not audition, because it, it was like I wanted to be, I don't know, a song and dance guy, and I also was afraid of it, because this idea of being funny on demand, because I was always the funny guy, right. but I had never been funny guy under pressure. And I'd always been a funny guy with a script. So I thought, you know, I think they wanted... So I remember Gilda, who I was dating at the time, was so obsessed with getting into it. Really? And I thought, probably you, you can only do well in Second City if you want it that badly. And I don't want it. You didn't, you didn't want uh, it. And then, um, and then, but a few years later, I did. Okay. And by that time... <laughs> well, what changed your mind? What changed your mind? I think I'll tell you why, because... For the next uh, five years, yes. you know, everyone did Second City stage, and then and then now SCTV started, and I was doing musicals and I was doing plays, but I could see I felt I was hitting a wall, and I went and saw War Babies, which is an improv group in Hollywood, and I adored it, and I thought, ah, ah, that's fantastic. So I didn't have to go through workshops. I just phoned Andrew Alexander, and he fired someone. <laughs> <laughs> No, they had asked me three years to be in Second City. Right, and you said no. Because I said no, because again, I didn't want to. And you wanted yeah, okay. to? I, I mean, I didn't want to until I wanted to. And then you wanted to. And then I wanted to. Did you always want to be, so it sounded like you always wanted to be some sort of entertainer since you were little, is that? Well, I always think this, the, the bizarre part of life is that the answer to what we want to do is like right in front of us. And we're going, I wonder what I want to do. And so I was in my, you know, attic bedroom pretending to have my own variety sh talk show. Oh, wow. And uh, I was on NBC every other Tuesday. Oh. I was 14, which left room for my um, imaginary film career. Oh, yeah. well, that's good. And so, but then I went into medicine. Really? Not, uh, not because I cared about science. I was just a fan of the TV show Quincy. <laughs> and uh, and then from there I, I thought, well, I can't, you know, everyone it's likes about science, so I switched to social work and left an actor. Right. It's like me because I always wanted to be a veterinarian when I was young, and then realized there's way too much science and way too much. Yeah. Stuff, so I can way too much study. Way too much. You can't blood. drink that amount and then also study. Know what happens yeah, in college? Yes, we sure, do. Not nothing studying. happens a lot. Of yeah, nothing, I nothing, know. nothing at all. I know. <laughs> but I do. Okay, so you 
we're at Second City, and then were, did you like prefer writing sketches? Because did you have to write a lot of your sketches? And then I did. You know, how did I, you create all your characters? Well, again, you know, I, it's just so ridiculous when I think of it. But I was like 26, and I thought I'm way behind. So, oh my gosh. yeah, <laughs> it's true. So, so um, they used to um, now they videotape. You know, scenes. It's, it's but in those days they, they just, didn't, which they, is very difficult to find stuff of. No, no, they didn't. They just audio tape. Oh, okay. And so I would take right. the audio tapes home from improvs. Okay. And I type them out because I was a fast typist, and I try to rewrite it, and it was like I was treating it like I was doing a TV show, and everyone else is saying, "What are you doing?" <laughs> and but I remember Catherine here saying, "Why are you doing this?" I said, "I'm making up for lost time." <laughs> and uh, so I did. I did speed along on Second City stage, and and how many years were you there? Two and a half. Two and a half. And then did you guys transfer to SCTV like after the two and a no, half? No, no, no. They were doing that? SCTV, and now they had their own cast. And I went on. I got this job. Uh, James Brooks, James L. Brooks, oh, the great wow. director, was doing a TV series in LA called The Associates. And I did that, and that got canceled, of course. And then I, uh, that was ABC, and then the next year I did, I'm a big girl now. I played Neil. I, no, I was, that was Diana Canova. I was Neil Stryker, the office boy. This series was so bad that we were a think tank in Washington, but by show nine, we just became a newspaper and didn't explain it. <laughs> And surprisingly, that was canceled, too. <laughs> and then Andrew phoned okay. and said, would you like to join SCTV? Because at that point, he, he thought either Dave or Rick were going to leave. Oh. And then they ended up both leaving. So I did about four show, 90-minute shows with all of them. Okay. And then Dave, Rick, and Catherine left. And then we did another season on NBC, 82, 83, right. with your dad, yes. and Andrea, and Eugene, and Joe, and Marty. Right. And then that's where you created a lot of your characters, like, no, did you create the... No, Ed Grimley came from Second City Stage. I was going to say, did that come from Second City? So which ones yeah. came from Second City Stage, and which ones... Just Ed. Ed, Just Ed, Ed, Ed? came from... There he is. There he is. <laughs> Ed came from there and went to SCTV, and then yeah. you created all the other right. characters. Which I have, I want to show you, I have a slideshow of um, photos that my mom took that are personal photos from um, SCTV of characters that you did. Now, I am not familiar with these two. Yeah, I was playing Jamie Farr. <laughs> and uh, I can't, what is the name Wait, of that scene? I don't, I know, and I have to go I'm back. I'm a not a fighter. I remember I having here to hear his voice. But just you guys transformed. Uh, Eugene's playing Lauren Green. Yep. Joe's playing Gavin McCloud. <laughs> and your father's playing Merlin Olson. Merlin. <laughs> I love it. And then we have another. These they're just brilliant photos. And then this uh, that was from a scene called Bowery Boys in the Band. <laughs> it was the first time we worked with the premise was, you know, SCTV we always ordered about nine layers. Yeah. So the premise was it was a combination of boys in the band. Uh, which was a play about um, a, a guy who brings his friend to a party, but all the guys are gay. Gay, right. It's a also very funny with, um, you can find it. Yeah, but also we were involved with uh, Vietnam, and we had to rescue a friend who is now trapped in Vietnam. So it's combination. <laughs> and, and we were the Bowery Boys, so I was Hunt's Hall. Multiple Your father's playing Whitey. And Robin, <laughs> and Robin was playing Leo Dorsey. And I, it's, you were so unrecognizable there. I, I know. I love it. It's such a great photo. 
And then, is this you playing with Robin Williams? That's right, Robin Williams, it was a commercial for Tang. But the premise is Robin never gets to it because he keeps improvising. I'm just going to say, Uh, that's uh, when your father, as William B. Williams, leaves the Sammy Monon show and gets his own show, and it's a horrible, horrible show. <laughs> and Irving Cohen, a 90-year-old songwriter... Where did this character come from? I just... What was he modeled after? Because I love her. Um, he wasn't really modeled after... You know, the thing that happens is that you create a character, and if it doesn't work, you never see that character again. Right. And if it works, they bring him back. And so it's like anything. Saturday Night Live, the same thing. So Irving was a 90-year-old songwriter. I modeled him kind of after a crusty old, you know, one of those people who talk that way. Yeah. And, and he was, he just berated your father. You're no good and you stink at your job. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. Oh, I love it. Um, there's more? Oh, I love well, That's my brother Michael. There's your brother. Yeah. Now, and uh, that looks like what? high school. Oh, no. Um, Is that. You know, you're, uh, like I think your preteen? father's playing Stephen Seeley. Stephen Seeley? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, I love that. And then I'm not familiar with this, but I, it looks like a football. It's like a. Do you remember this scene? Yes. Uh, it was a. I, uh, that was me. That was me and Joe. You were the child. I was a child who was ill. And those are my little fake feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's right. That is it. And then oh, Jackie Rogers Jr. Jackie Rogers Jr. Not to be confused. At first, someone saw this photo and thought it was Lonnie Anderson. I was like, no, no, no. No, Lonnie today. Yeah. Lonnie well. today. <laughs> but I love, I love that character. Now, do you remember this event? It's, what is it? You are um, signing your name in cement and putting your hands in cement and... Where? Just at a party? It's at a party. <laughs> <laughs> I ask you to do some random photos that I have in my Papa had a cocktail that night. <laughs> really? But I want to say that it was my dad and uh, I want to say the cast of SCTV was there and everyone... Was it, it for a school? It might have been either for school or the Canadian version of like the man's Chinese theater. But no, I, they I had that kind of walk of fame. They had the no, walk of fame and that's no, not what it is. No. So I just found these to be... There you go. We don't know what they are, but I uh, <laughs> thought they were... There we uh, are. There, there they are. There's Dave Thomas. Uh, yes, and then oh. this is the wonderful... If you're a football fan, be yes. Well, you know, football. yeah. Your father owned the Toronto Argonauts. Yes, they did. He did. And I went to the Great Cup. Yep, they won in '91. '91. Uh, we left from we, uh, and Wayne Gretzky yeah. owned the, the t- Toronto Argonauts with my with dad, Bruce McNall, yep. who later went to jail. Yes. And <laughs> all the ticket money. True. He owned he owned the Kings, yes, Valley he did. Kings. Yeah. And Gretzky and we all left the Great Cup is the Canadian. Super version Bowl. of the Super You know, the CFL, Canadian Football League, is a very unusual league. At that time, it had nine teams, only nine, and two were called Rough Riders. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Ottawa Rough Riders and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. I was always so confused. Yeah, and you could be watching TV as a kid. 
but it didn't seem weird to you because you're Canadian here. Rough Riders 28. Rough Riders 7. You knew which one. But you said, I feel bad for the Rough Riders, but I'm happy for the Rough Riders. Anyway, and and then they, so uh, Toronto got in the Grey Cup, and we left at around 6 in the morning, and we flew to Winnipeg, where the Grey Cup was being held, and it was so cold. It was freezing. The freezing, and I remember my son Oliver was on my lap, and I looked down, he was five, and his tears had frozen. Yeah. yeah we so had. then we banged on the press box and said, <laughs> I don't even think let me in. We didn't even get in there. We were stuck well, in the nose. I got in. It was a, well, you were, you, know, you were the owners. Yeah, but we, I wasn't in there. We were stuck in the yeah. nosebleeds. And then Ollie fell asleep on uh, J- uh, Janet Gretzky's lap. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but that was, that was those were, those were, when was 11 yeah. Now, here's the Polaroid collection of photos of a uh, Christmas party. That's a Christmas party at my home. Is that at your in home? In Toronto, yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful Christmas tree. Yeah, well, a little popcorn tradition. There it is, <laughs> popcorn tradition. And then Oh, my you. God in heaven. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> that amazing? That's in my, yeah, that's... Uh, in your I, I remember those balloon curtains in our garden. It looks like you're wearing a hat. Yeah. No, that, that, that was my hair. That was my hair. Oh, I see. And Eugene, even then, his eyebrows had their own agents. Life of their own. I know. I just love how these, I love having these photos because it was like you guys as a cast were so close that you were able to. Well, that was a secret. I remember remember doing a piece. um, I remember doing a piece. I've been in the show, SCTV now, for about a year. And uh, it was called The Nutty Lab Assistant. And Ed Grimley... It would take a potion. It was like nutty, nutty, yeah, nutty, nutty professor. professor. It would take a potion and become John Mellencamp, <laughs> who was guesting. And then at one point, Mellencamp's performing, but he transitions into a gremlin, you know, because the potion's wearing off. Right. But in the audience was Andrea playing um, uh, the nurse of your father, who's playing the doctor who's created the potion. Okay. And they were just laughing so hard, the two of them, <laughs> as we were setting up. This shot of me, and I looked at it and said, "Well, this is why this show works. These people have been working together for now. It's now been ten solid years. Oh, wow. They've yeah. done the stage. They've done. This is now season six of SCTV, and everyone loves each other, right. and everyone gets along. And everyone finds each other so funny. Yeah. I remember one time, and it even shows, if they got shows. irritated, I remember Andrea was once sitting there. She had put in a piece, and and Eugene said, you know, he could." He could, you know, he was such a good writer that he was very, he could be, you know, everything always went into a rewrite session after a read-through of SCTV. Nothing just got, didn't matter who wrote it. Okay. Because everything could be better. Right. And, but Eugene (laughs) was particularly brutal this day. And he said (laughs) uh, to Andrea, she's sitting there with her pen, and she said, he went, Gee, Andrea, it's 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 funny. I just wish I knew what it, what the point of it was. <laughs> and she went like this, mm-hmm. and she leaned over with her pen and drew an X on his crotch, and she said, "That's just so your wife Deb can find him." <laughs> <laughs> all joyful Ben. There's <laughs> all love in that family. Love in that family. Love, 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 love. Lovely dysfunctional family. <laughs> but I love these. I love these photos. And then I love this photo of. You oh, my wife Nancy, Nancy and I at the yeah, Emmys. At the Emmys. Well, I was just going to say, I wasn't too sure the, the photo was a little blurry, so you can't yeah. quite see what the... That's another room in my house. No, that's... That a, is. <laughs> it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. 
gorgeous. Yeah, thank you. The wallpaper thank is fantastic. You. Thank you so much. It's a <laughs> circular staircase. Yeah, no, it's quite nice. And then this is a photo where it looks like you're a taxi cab driver. But this is at our farm in Queensville, oh, outside yeah. of Toronto, and that is little me oh. right there. That's right. Uh, in, in my pajamas and not wearing socks. And the reason I am not wearing socks, and I don't know if you remember this, but I was still traumatized to this day. But there were times when you would come over, if I was wearing socks, you would grab my socks and tie them. That's right. And then tickle me to the point where I couldn't breathe. That's absolutely <laughs> true. Still to this day, yeah. if anyone comes near, no smiling, you know, it did, no, yeah. <laughs> I used to oh, love the socks being tied. But I remember we'd, I'd go to the farm. I think at that time I was there because John and I were going to write a piece and we never would get to it. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly you'd say, John, we've got to start writing it. Yes, you're right. And, oh, the billiard table's arriving. And so, <laughs> you guys are carrying it at billiard table. Now we're playing billiards. I know, we had a pool table. Yeah. What, was your, what was your thought when my dad said, oh, I bought a farm. How'd you lose pillow? Yeah, I lost it. Here. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought it was cool. You know, Here's the thing that was amazing about your, your father and mother. And, and John was like, he was like, you know, he, he was like, he picked up all the tabs. I'm paying for it. And I'd drive home with Nancy and say, John, he makes the same money as we do. How hard is all this money? He was so generous and just lived life that way that John buying a farm when we were living in a second-story flat, made sense. You know, I, and I had an inheritance. You know, it was all. Well, we, I think there's a couple more photos of the farm that we have. Um, maybe it'll, okay, so this is our backyard. Once again, in the very corner is me with the blonde hair. And it looks like I think you're either carrying... I want to say Catherine. Yeah, I think I'm Kat, Kat, my daughter Catherine. Because right. she, she was a little bit younger yeah. than me. Those 80s shorts. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I know, there's a lot of work yeah. going on there, right? And then there's another photo um, of my mom in the middle, and yeah. then uh, Nancy, and then you, which either you're on a cell phone but didn't exist back then, so no. I'm thinking you're smoking a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something's going on. Something's going on there. And then um, this, I love this photo. Oh, I remember uh, that day. I remember this. Uh, that's at, yes, that's at Chevy Chase's house in, in the Highlands. In the in Highlands Palisades. there. And I couldn't tell if you were either impersonating the parent or you actually have a fear of birds. <laughs> I think a little a b- bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> or the parent has just attacked me and I'm dealing with it. <laughs> Chevy's just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. It's all good, better. Okay, so I... Li- oh, I love this picture. I saved I love this, this photo picture. for last because I know that you um, were talking about what your favorite sketch was um, yeah. on SCTV, and you were saying how Ed Grimley and uh, Baby Ed, or whatever Well, uh, uh, no, this is a piece that written by my brother Michael and myself, yeah. but it was a perfect example of why SCTV is so good. Yeah. Because they had come, and it was right near the end of a season, an NBC season, and they had said, look, we have no room for expensive pieces but we do have you know if anyone can write something that can be done with three cameras like a sitcom um, something fast or just two camera um, we can do it mm-hmm. and so I, uh, Michael and I wrote Whatever Happened to Baby Ed the idea that Ed Grimley 
<clears throat> like the movie, whatever happened to Baby Jane, is in a wheelchair being tormented by his brother. <laughs> I do have the clip, too. Yeah. I do have well, the clip. Well, we might have to show it. But anyway, the point it. was, Speak. the point what was fascinating is that, so we went in, we shot it with three cameras. You know, we'd always, the second we'd shoot something, we'd go to the teleprompter and look at it. And uh, very interestingly enough, when I did uh, Rusted Development, they, uh, Mitch Hurwitz did the same thing. Oh, They'd go to the monitor. Oh, I see. Okay, I'm too big. You're too small. Let's do it again. Okay. Oh, that's right. You know, so we were all yeah. writing it together. But, uh, and John Blanchard, the director, fabulous director of SCTV, would never move on unless the cast saw the take and approved of it. And uh, so anyway, we looked at the take and I said, it's not working. It's not funny. It should be so funny. And uh, your dad said, well, because it's a movie parody, but we're shooting like a sitcom. And we went, of course. And then the director, John Blanchard, went over to argue with the, the producer, Jamie Paul Rock, saying, we need to spend about four hours to shoot this. And Jamie oh, wow. said, no, we can't, we can't. And there's a big argument over there. And your dad said, let's go and stand over here and have a smoke while they stew in their creative juices, because we're going to win. Because the cast always won. And so they shot it one camera like a movie, and that's why it would work. Wow. You, can't, you can't parody something unless you're shooting it like it is. Right, exactly. Do you guys want to take a look at the yeah. clip? Yeah. <laughs> Let's take a look at it. Whatever happened to baby Ed? Reuniting two of America's finest actors. Oh, I told Mr. DeMille to hold that shot longer, you know. Ed Grimley is riveting. Jerry Gladman, Mellonville Free Press. Still a pretty good picture, I must say. Still watching that garbage? Boris Burgess' performance in Baby Ed is Oscar bait. George Anthony, Melville Sun. Like, I suppose you think it's a good movie, don't you? Well, it's pure trash, you know. Well, that wasn't a very nice thing to do. Well, like, I suppose you think it's a wonderful thing to spend a whole day downstairs preparing your meals all day. Oh, I suppose I should just run downstairs and prepare them myself. Talk about talking mental. Mental? You're saying that I'm mental. You're excluding yourself from being mental, you know? Oh, yeah, I'm really the mental one, I must say. Like, I was the one who just smashed in the television set, and I was the one who ran down his own brother. That was uh, John and I uh, in a boxing match uh, where he was, I was uh, Mr. Rogers, yes. and he was Julia Child, <laughs> and it was the PBS Battle of the Network Stars. Yes. <laughs> we will see that momentarily, but I want to talk about the, ba the baby Ed one. Yes. Um, I was just going to say, because Ed Grimley um, was one of my favorite characters. Weird, how did you come up with Ed Grimley? Because he did a cartoon show. Yes. Which is also very similar because uh, my dad did Camp Candy, and then right. you guys had the Ed Grimley show, which I would wake up every morning and watch the Ed Grimley <laughs> show. I had the doll. Yes. So many. Well, it was insane. It was insane, but it was it was great. No, Ed Grimley was, well, you know, characters, I think, you know, they can be as broad as you want them to be, or subtle as you want them to be. But if they're broad, you, they don't, to me, they're, it's, it's all the same, because they're just... They exist. Right. You know, you go and pick up a shirt at the dry cleaner, and the guy thinks, I couldn't get stay on my short side strip. And he's wearing, you know, a kilt and mid-riff t-shirt. <laughs> and you think, this is too broad for a sketch, and yet there he is existing. Right. But he's sincere. He doesn't think he's funny. Right. 
So even in a film like when I played Frank and Father the Bride, the directors were very concerned about it because it was this heightened thing in the middle of a very real, sincere story. And I, so we did like, you know, 50 takes wow. where it would be broad and they'd turn it down, turn it down, turn it down a little bit. And they ended up just going to the top end because yeah. it wasn't that, if I looked like, if I was trying to be funny, it wouldn't have been funny, but he was just this odd guy who existed. And, and after I finished the first Father's Bride, I went to a rich person's wedding who had a, <laughs> who had a uh, wedding uh, planner who actually had his initials on his loafers. And I thought, there you go. You can't, you can't, you can't go him. Yeah, you can't go broad. So Ed Grimley, but I think that if you create a character, but you, it's based on someone, even if it's a combination of a few, but it, that, if it's kind of an impersonation, it grounds it. So uh, there was a guy in high school uh, he wanted to be a photographer, and he talked like that. And I'd say, Stan, did you take some photos this weekend? No, I took a lot of slides, but, <laughs> but I'm not gonna like develop them because I don't see the point because I took them so I know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> so you put that away in your brain, and years later you make thousands of dollars. <laughs> Many You've talk done shows. many talk shows because you had your own talk show. I had show. my own talk show and I've done guests on talk shows. And then you guests on talk shows and then yes. you played Jimmy. From Johnny to Dave. Right? <laughs> and then to Jiminy Glick. Oh, and then Jiminy, of course. Jiminy Secret. Jiminy? Well, I think that's Jiminy's secret. The <laughs> secret to Jiminy is that he doesn't listen. <laughs> And he, you know, the things that fascinate him don't fascinate. Like he once said to Mel Brooks, what's your big beef with the Nazis? <laughs> I know, I, oh, I remember going to see, because uh, you shot over at Hollywood Center Studios. Yeah. Which is where I currently am working. Primetime Glick. Primetime yeah. Glick. And yeah. so I remember going to that and yeah. seeing that just being so surreal. And you grow up around it and seeing everyone in costumes, but I know. that character, the costumes and the hair and the makeup and yeah, the and it's always and the same people: Judy Cooper, Celia, yeah, Bill Shepard, everyone from, from you know FECTV on, yeah. which was fantastic, and they're geniuses, um, which I which I absolutely I love. Um, so yeah, that character that character makes me makes me laugh so much. He once said to Steven Spielberg, "When are you gonna make the big one?" <laughs> you were saying that Greg was asking uh, Mel Brooks and Nazis, uh, not that we're going to talk about Nazis, but what was it like working out with Mel Brooks? Oh, he, Mel is the best. Mel is so producers. funny, so funny. Uh, Matthew Broderick tells a funny story about Mel that they, they, Matthew had this idea, this is a, in a rehearsal when they were doing it in New York, he and Nathan Lane, and, and uh, you know, they... Matthew said, what if we try to go through the door, but we get stuck, but then you go first, and then I go first, and Mel said, why don't you try it? And uh, then they tried it in the rehearsal, and he looked over and went, and Mel went, Nathan, I mean Matthew, stinks. (laughs) (laughs) 
when I, I did many shows, I did three show, Broadway shows in the, in the 90s with Neil Simon, the genius Neil Simon. Yes. And Neil was, and Mel wrote show of shows for Sid Caesar together. Okay. And he said that Mel Brooks would make him laugh in anticipation of what he knew he would say. In other words, if they were walking down the street to go to lunch in New York, if there was someone approaching that looked ridiculous, Neil knew that he couldn't not say something. And so just knowing he'd say something, Neil would start laughing. But one time, they were walking down the street, and four nuns were approaching them. And as they passed, uh, Mel said, Sorry, girls, the sketch has been cut. But I did the show here uh, uh, with Jason Alexander for nine months at the Pantages. And, Which and we Mel, went and saw. And was uh, Mel was there many, 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 many nights. I would imagine. Oh, that was... Br- so what do you, where did you find the most creative um, outlet for you? Like, was it working in television, stage, film? I think, you know... All of them? I think all of them. I think the Canadians are like the British, more so yes. than the American actors. So, you know, the American actors would kind of say, I, I, I'm in film, or I'm in television. And... The Canadians, British, kind of go. Do you want to spring a suit? You know, <laughs> and so you do all things at once. Yeah. So you do, you know, stage, and then you do television, you do film, you do radio, and you do whatever. And so, and particularly when I in the seventies, when I was starting in Toronto, there was no real star system, per se. But therefore, you could log so do such a variety of things. It was like going to university, and just so by the time you kind of hit the United States, you had more experience uh, than most actors who, you know, yeah, well, that's were stars. one of the reasons why our family moved to the states was because you kind of hit a level there. Yeah, yeah, or that's at least you know. Well, the fact that your father became a major movie star didn't was one. <laughs> 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 Moved here too. Yes. <laughs> you moved here too. I you moved, moved here too. too. Everyone eventually yeah, moved know, out here. Know. Everyone's big stars. Um, Not Juanita Quigley. No. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, just saying, you don't know her because she never made it. No. But I know her. <laughs> Show uh, had the teaser of that uh, clip. I want to show the uh, Mr. Rogers. Oh yeah, let's see a little bit. I, of, uh, I know. Now that I'm like, okay, I was going to end on it. You know what? It was a great combination. Your dad and I also once did. Um, we did a show uh, based on the movie Poltergeist. The idea that the television past um, turned on television present. So there was a scene <laughs> with Ed Grimley and your dad is Ralph Cramden, oh, Jack wow. Nicholson, and. It, the, the thing is about your dad and myself is we were just so physically opposite that the combination was kind of classic in, yeah. in style. And so I think it's very exemplary here. Yeah. Let's the crowd is literally buzzing with excitement as Mr. Rogers, representing Bill Buckley's team, enters the ring. Oh, look out there, Fred. <laughs> the slender chap's not used to this sort of fare. Tonight, he prepares to face the heavily favored Julia Child, the French chef, if you will. More about that later. But first, 
let's take a look at both fighters in their respective corners as they prepare for the upcoming bout. There's Child, cool and collected, obviously in shape and ready for this fight. But what about Rogers? Experts of question, myself included, his ability to participate in so physical a sport, some going so far as to cast aspersions on his manhood itself, and of course, the confident Julia Child. And there's the bell starting round one. But there, he rocked Julia Child with a devastating left, and the friendship is visibly shaken. Not unlike George Steinbrenner after his humiliating defeat to Tommy Lasorda's Dodgers. But that's about that. I thought he was deck him. And then he's out. He's out. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. Now, is there anything that you, because you've done, as I go back, you've done television, theater, voiceover. Is there anything that you haven't done yet that you want to do? Well, I, no, not really. I just enjoy doing it. I mean, I think, you know, through the years I've been asked to direct. But again, back to why I didn't want to do Second City, I think that if I would be successful at that, I would have to want to do to it, do, right. not just be offered it. And so I like being in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. I like being, doing that. And yeah, just yeah. being you, which is great. And, yeah. see, and your, your next project or project that I heard about is with Steve Martin. No, Steve and I are doing, we do a lot of concerts. We do, um, we've done that for a few years. <laughs> I mean, he has his show, and I have my concerts, and then, but now we've been tending to combine our shows. Interesting. You know, play bigger arenas, and you don't have to work as hard, because you do have. It's happening. Uh, <laughs> it's called, uh, Steve Martin, Martin Short, An Evening You'll Forget for the Rest of Your Life. <laughs> and then I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to do a new variety series for NBC in, in the new year with Maya Rudolph. Yeah. That'll be fantastic. Yeah. Following America's Got Talent. <laughs> now, how many years were you on SCTV? Did you say six? No, no, no. no. I was uh, SCTV three, I guess. Just, oh, it was just three. Yeah, because I, I, I was the interloper. I came, yeah. Came. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it was about two and a half, maybe. Two right. and a half. And, and then I went to Saturday Night Live next. And then well, I was going to say, what was that like? Well, that was completely different. I mean, you could understand the advantages that both shows had. You know, you can't duplicate that thing that happens when they go live from New York and it's just there. You know, and I remember the first show, uh, it happened and it was pretty successful. And then on the Monday I went to get a tape to look at it and the director, Davey Wilson, said, Marty, don't do that. <laughs> I said, what? You'll only be disappointed. It was live, it happened, it existed, it moved. So, so what was great about SCTV is that you could do a piece and it would be, let's say, uh, it was a movie parody and you thought it would be hilarious and it's five minutes and it didn't quite work, you could edit it. You were doing movies, so right. you'd, but it would be a perfect two and a half minute movie promo. Uh, if you're on Saturday Night Live, it would be seven minutes and you'd say, gee, that, those pieces go on too long. So it's very hard. I mean, I found transitioning from SCTV to Saturday Night Live very hard to, to write live stuff that had to work. You know, SCTV, we didn't have an audience, so if people didn't like it, we didn't know. And we played to our own, our own headspace. Right. Saturday Night Live, if, you know, if a piece is bombing, you know. You knew. Yeah. Almost, very and then it's cut. 
And it's cut. And then it would get cut during... Uh, between dress and air. Between dress and air. Wow. Although I used to go in. Uh, <laughs> they used to, Dick Eversall, who did it. I didn't do it with Lauren, actually. I did it with Dick Eversall. Okay. And he would say that I was the only cast member that would go in and ask for a piece to be removed. <laughs> well, they tended to put, because they tended to put my pieces in, because I wasn't in that much. You know, I'd only right. write a couple of pieces a week, and, and the writers didn't know what to do with me, so they wouldn't write anything. And, and so, but I, I would know if it wasn't, you know what I mean? You had that feeling if it was. Yeah. was I'd rather be light, and then someone said, gee, I wish he was in it more, than, than just tank. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> that would be horrible, is yeah. to, yeah. I, I was trying to think. You did Ed Grenley there. Yes. And then, and how many years were you were? SNL, one year. Which is I had a one-year one contract. One, one, one Christopher year. Guest, Billy Crystal, and I, um, and Harry Shearer. Okay, right. We all did it for one year because they thought the show was going to be canceled. You know, Eddie Murphy had left, and Joe Piscopo had left, and 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 they thought, so they paid us. Quite a bit of money, unusually, and they gave us a one-year contract because we were already known, which was also had never been done at SNL. Right. Usually, people are brand new, and then you get to know them. Um, but now they were saying, "Let's we'll bring these kind of you know." Dick used to call it the George Steinbrenner year. You bring in seasoned veterans a little bit, and and they will bolster the show. Amazing. And then the, then the next year, Lauren came back. And that was 85 and still there. And then he's, and he's still there to this yeah. day. So then you left Oh, Lauren's producing this TV show. Yeah. Well, there you go. See, it comes full circle. Yes. Like, I always feel like everyone... Well, he's a very good old friend of mine. Yeah. Canadian. Yeah, Canadian. Fellow yes. Canadians stick together. Yes. Oh, gosh. Now, you and my dad didn't do any movies together, right? We did no movies. We did the David Steinberg show. Right. Uh, he sp- played Spider, and I played Johnny Del Bravo. That was before SCTV. That was 1977. Oh, my gosh, I don't think I remember that. Yeah. I remember no, uh, like David Steinberg, but I don't remember. And that was a show that was on for. Uh, okay, I think I knew that. One full season. Now, and you did, I do remember the story. The, my dad was he supposed to be a three amigos, or did he turn that down? Do turn it down. Did he, oh, I was the cheap amigo. I was. I was. You know. I was carrot top has passed amigo. <laughs> Scripts that you get, and he just collected all of them. Oh, at one point, it was like, why wasn't he in this? It was going to be Steve and Belushi, and and then Steve and your dad, and 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 John, and I mean, uh, and Belushi. Yeah, I mean, it was all these names being. I think yeah. I remember my dad's character. He was supposed. To, he always told me he was supposed to go for. I think Chevy Chase's character. Yeah, Dusty Bottoms. Dusty Bottoms. Yeah. <laughs> I was Ned Needleland. Ned Little Ned. Little, I look. That movie is one of my favorite movies. I can probably quote it. I think as everyone. Here. And I love. I love the joke that you tell. And and with the, about the airplane. Oh, the little balls. The little yeah. balls. Yeah. It's a mail plane. Yeah. How can you tell? Because it's got the little balls. Marty. Yes. I think that's it. Wow. We are out of time, guys. I know. Hey, why don't we take some questions? Questions? Yeah, does anyone have any questions then? Before. Oh, we've got someone in the back there. Hi. First of all, I'm a huge fan. I've always loved everything you've done. I think you're a comic genius and all that. Thank you. The question is show and tell. The what? Show and tell. Oh yeah. Oh, 
Um, you remember this costume you wore that I am wearing the exact same costume when you're for Halloween. Yes, I know exactly what that is. That is hilarious. It was from a special I did, I, Martin Short, Goes Hollywood. And it was a character, Dale O'Day. And he had been made, he had made his fame playing a fence. And I also... <laughs> that is brilliant. And so I stumbled across it looking for a Halloween costume. And I was like, that is not the exact same fence outfit that Martin wore. That's pretty Martin damn wore. close, especially no, the no, leotard. That's, it. that's the exact outfit. Oh, you mean you actually got it? I'm actually wearing the same leotard and fence. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get it? At some uh, costume warehouse. That is amazing. There you go. Terrifying and amazing. I think we... Yes? Uh, I just uh, read your book, which I love. Could you talk about uh, the writing the book and how that process went there? Well, it's interesting, you know. You, uh, I, I did a lot of uh, dictation because I knew that it... My... my you know, my, my rhythms when I talk are very specific. I'm not aware of that, but like I'll go into an airport and I'll have sunglasses and a hat and, and I'll say, do you have the New York Times? And everyone goes like that, you know. So I knew that it, if it didn't feel um, real in that sense, it, it wouldn't exist. You know, Nora Ephron was an old friend of mine and her novellas were perfect because they just sounded like her talking. Like if you were f- doing a flight with her, you said, Nora, how did you get started? was like reading the book. So that's what I aspired to. And I don't know, I did it like a kind of a special, you know, I had cards and I wanted, figured I'd start up that way, end that way, put that in, but it can't just be stories about meeting Frank Sinatra, you know, it has to be, uh, and then you don't want to tell all the secrets of your friends, so you, but you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. Sprinkle them in here yeah, and there. Yeah, sprinkle them in. Anyone? Yes. Um, you know, well, sure, but I mean, it was, you know, you meet, you meet people, and they're, Christopher Guest, when I first met him, you know, I, I mean, I just, we were now going to do Saturday Night Live, and I'd just seen Spinal Tap the week before, and I thought, I, I'm, I, this guy scares me, you know, <laughs> he's so talented, and, but then I have learned for myself that if I am ill at ease, or not in a loose state of mind, then I can't do anything. So I almost fast-track through awkward feelings. Like even opening nights, I don't get nervous. I haven't for a long time. I'll get energized. But I know if I'm nervous, it, I, won't, I won't be loose. And if I'm not loose, I can't do what I'm doing. So, I mean, I think that anyone who, it's like playing tennis with someone great. You, you're, it's daunting to meet certain people but um, quickly you realize that they're kind of equally scared. You know, everyone's doing an impersonation of themselves relaxed. And then before you know it, you're all buddies, and it's all fine, you know. But I've worked with a lot of unbelievably, insanely talented people, you know, through the years. Carol Burnett and Mel Brooks and 
Steve Martin, all these people, and Chris, and, you know, and, and, and the cast of SCTV, of course. So you, you but uh, it, it, you try to shape that as quickly as you can, but it's always daunting. Uh, Jameson now. A lot of us in this room are actors, and I think we all struggle with the idea of being enough. And I read your book as well, and in it you talk about evaluating your life based on nine categories, and I thought that to be so helpful. I was curious to know if you've always stayed true to that, and if you veer off that path, how do you get back onto it? No, I, I don't veer from it. I mean, I, I mean, it's like anything. It's like you struggle. You, you always succumb. You know, if you're on the road doing a musical and it stinks and it's not working, your, your category six, which is career, is taking <laughs> way too much precedent. But just the idea, for people who don't know what we're talking about, is that when I was a younger actor, but I'd been doing it for about five years or something, I was still going through that phase if I didn't work or if I was now out of work. You know, everyone, no matter what age you are, you think some of the tech and say, we're on to you. You know, go back back to the steno pool for you. And um, but so I thought, because I had not been out of university that long, I thought you know maybe if career is just one subject, and you're taking nine subjects at school, you can be doing horribly in your career, but you can still have a pretty GP, a pretty good GPS if you mm -hmm. do well in the other categories. The other categories is self, which is just. How's your health? Are you, have you been to the doctor? Are you, you know, that stuff? Uh, two is your, you know, whatever that significant other is in your life and your children. Three is, is uh, uh, your, your original family, your brothers and sisters. Four is our friends. Five is money. Do you have any money? Six is career. Seven is creativity. Eight is um, uh, discipline. And nine is lifestyle, because if you're doing having this fabulous life, but you're not going out or enjoying your life, then... And I would literally give report cards yeah, and grades for each category, <laughs> and then create a GPS, and I would give myself a Christmas exam, an Easter exam, and a final. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not mentally ill. <laughs> I'm just saying that's what I did. Well for you. Thank you. And I want to say thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you.